Thanks for listening to this sermon from the Image Church. Find out more about us and our weekly services at imagejesus.com. Yeah, I just, I just want to share one of my favorite New Testament stories in the life of Jesus. and It's in Mark chapter 5. And, um, you know, the simple, the simple takeaway, you know, from this story is, I mean, you're going to see how this is a man who is so lost, so twisted, so messed up, and, and Jesus completely changed his life. And I love this story because it basically says, if Jesus can rescue this guy, he can rescue me. You know, he can rescue you. Whatever you came in with this morning, I don't care what addiction it is, I don't care what your history of mental illness might be. I don't care how proud your heart might be. <clears throat> Jesus can rescue you. So let's, let's just read this passage in Mark chapter 5. <clears throat> it says, They went across the, the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in a cemetery. This man lived in the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name's Legion, he replied, For we're many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hills. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. <clears throat> the herd, about 2,000 in number, <clears throat> rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell him the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. You know, um, again, the, the takeaway is just this. Jesus can change anyone. Jesus can change anyone. And, um, you know, some of you maybe have been bound by addictions your whole life. Maybe some of you have, have uh, you know, struggled with cutting like this man. You know, this man literally was a cutter. Uh, maybe some of you have been addicted in, to pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency, your reputation. There's even hope for you. Because God can change anyone. Okay? And, and we're just going to see real simply here what, what God saved this man from 
and what he saved this man for. Okay? And, uh, you know, there's parts of this that we don't completely understand. You know, when, you, when you're when you face-to-face with evil, it's, it's confusing sometimes. You know, um, I've got a daughter who, who worked in an uh, alternative school in Ocala uh, recently, and, you know, she would tell me of 10-year-old boys that four grown policemen couldn't subdue. You know, there is a, there is a sometimes a, a commingling of, you know, the physical and the spiritual that really uh, is hard to explain, you know, and this is, you know what, we're not going to get too deep into this demon possession stuff, but, you know, this man, you know, the, the Bible says that our, our, we have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. You know, the flesh is, is your own depraved nature, your own twisted, self-reliant nature, and the devil is for real. Evil is in this universe, and, and it's a personal evil. And when, when your flesh and, and you know, the, the, the demons unite, it's, it's a pretty formidable thing to overcome. And, um, you, know, you know, when you study mental illness, it's really difficult to know where uh, the, the, the biological part stops and the spiritual part begins it's it just all seems to be commingled and it's really tough to sort it out or even understand it um, even if you're you know in the world of Christian psychiatry it's difficult to know how all that exactly interacts but um, it's not one or the other you know I think sometimes Satan particularly like likes to prey on a on a mentally confused person you know somebody whose mental illness is disturb their their view of reality you know uh, this I mean talk about multiple personalities this guy had it I mean for real you know I mean if you if you were in the world of secular psychiatry and this guy was in your hospital you would probably at least diagnose him with multiple personality disorder uh, you know among a number of other things but the point is we don't want to get too deep in it I just want to say this guy was messed up I mean, he was bound and tortured. He was hopeless. From the world's perspective, this is the guy you, you lock up and you don't ever let him out. Now, they didn't have any place to lock him up, so they let him out, you know, but he, but he, he lived in a cemetery. And Luke says people wouldn't even travel through that vicinity because the man was so violent. They, you know, and they would chain him and, and they, he would break the chains. <clears throat> you know, I don't know if, honestly, if the man might have said, please chain me up because I can't stop myself. You know, when he had lucid moments and realized the hurt people he hurt and the things he did, he, he might have actually said, please, please, chain me so I don't do this anymore. But then something would snap and, you know, he'd break the chains and he'd, Hurt people, and he'd hurt himself. He was a cutter. I mean, you know, cutting is... I've, I've known a number of people who struggle with cutting. Some people... A lot of times people use razor blades to just cut parts of their body that usually aren't visible. 
Um, sometimes people use curling irons or cigarette butts to burn themselves. It's, it's self-harm. And you say, well, gosh, what's the deal with that? You know, I mean, why? And, and, and a lot of these people are not, uh, I mean, I, I know a, a, a young lady who, um, a very attractive young lady from a very wealthy, prominent home, dad, a very successful businessman. This, this young lady grew up with everything. Christian home. But um, had such a series of devastating, broken relationships that the only way she could cope with the pressure of her home and the pain of her relationships was, was literally to, to just cut, her, cut herself. Um, let, me, let me read something from, um, from the Nemours Clinic about cutting. I mean, just so you, you know, you just get a picture of how, how you know, devastating this can be. And... Um, you know, why, it says, why do people cut themselves? It can be hard to understand why people cut themselves on purpose. Cutting is a way some people try to cope with the pain of strong emotions, intense pressure, or upsetting relational, relationship problems. Some people cut because they feel desperate for relief from bad feelings. People who cut may not know better ways to get relief from emotional pain or pressure. Some people cut to express strong feelings of rage, sorrow, rejection, desperation, longing, or emptiness. I mean, it's, it's so sad that a person actually feels better by burning themselves with a cigarette butt or slicing their, their stomach with a razor, that that actually makes them feel better. And that's how, that's how the enemy loves to torture us. You know, with the, the, this bondage of pressure we can be under. And, and, and it doesn't matter rich or poor. In fact, I think sometimes people who grow up in affluent parts of the world uh, deal with this more, even more because of the pressure to succeed and perform and to live up to expectations. Um, I don't know how this, this guy might have had prominent parents. You know, maybe his parents were leaders in the religious community. He might have been one of those guys who grew up expecting to be the next leader of his community, the next leader of his synagogue. Maybe this guy was brilliant. It was supposed to be the next uh, Einstein. I just read of a 12-year-old girl in Europe who's suppo you know, supposed to be two points higher on her IQ score than either Einstein or Stephen Hawking. Perfect score on, the IQ, on your IQ. Can you imagine what it's like to be 12 and the whole world thinks you're the smartest person who's ever lived? I mean, the poor girl. I mean, what are you supposed to do with that? You know? Well, you're 12 and you can't play the violin yet? <laughs> I mean, whatever. You know, you got to be... Um, this, we don't know this guy's history. Maybe he was an orphan, cast out a street kid. Maybe he was born in the most prominent family in that town. But he was a cutter. He, his life was filled with so much pain, emotional pain, that it felt better for him in the middle of the night to just gash himself with stones and to cry out. You know, this, this man was tortured day and night. He was, he was um, 
Luke says he was naked. He had, he had, he, Luke says in Luke chapter 8, it had been a long time since he had lived in a home or worn any clothes. You know, he was driven to solitary places. You know, um, he, he couldn't be around normal people. Self-destructive. Uh, beyond hope. It said, it said in, in, you know, in verse 3, there's a little phrase there. Um, it says, this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. Anymore. It's like at one point, maybe, you know, there was some way to control him a little bit. But that anymore, you know, the progression of, of his torture and his torment and his being out of control. It, whatever used to work doesn't work anymore. To control this man. That's what happens with every addiction, doesn't it? You know, there's an anymore. Like, you know, it, it used to, to kind of work, but it doesn't work anymore. I used to be able to kind of hold myself in check, but I can't hold myself in check anymore. You know? And um, this man's anymore was pretty, pretty horrific. Well... It's crazy. But Jesus shows up. You know, they, they cross the Sea of Galilee and Jesus gets out of the boat and he's walking into this territory and the disciples are all already probably saying, Jesus, we're, you know, there's nobody around here. There must be a reason. You know, th this is desolate. There are no people here. There must be a reason. And all of a sudden this guy comes running up and they know the reason. You know? But he falls down at Jesus' feet and, and, and he, he knows who it is. The Son of God. But then how tortured do you have to be when you see Jesus? It never even occurs to him. Jesus! Jesus! You can save me! No. What does he say? He begs Jesus, please don't torture me. Don't torture me. How scared of God do you have to be? You know, you would think this man's got nothing to lose. Maybe, maybe this is the guy that can save me and help me and deliver me. But he is so afraid of God. He is so afraid of the Son of God that this tortured man with no life the immediate thought is, Jesus is going to torture me. He's going to torture me. Um, again, in Luke's gospel, you know, it says, don't, he begs him, don't send me into the abyss. Don't send me to hell. Okay. You know, it's the craziest thing in the world, but why, why are we, who are so, you know, I, I, we had a, I'm, we, uh, Jeremy and Aaron and Alana and Amy and Debbie and me all rode back in, in Jay's van, you know, yesterday. It was, it was weird. <laughs> I'm not going to, we, we agreed what, 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 what we say in the van stays in the van. <laughs> but I'm just going to tell you, it was weird. And I don't think it's possible to go on a trip with Jeremy without it getting weird. <laughs> Uh, 
But at one point we were playing, Would You Rather? <laughs> and we had some good ones. But I'm, I'm going to just tell you one. I, I, said, I said, would you rather know that you're going to die in a week or that you're going to live for a thousand years? What would you rather? Would you rather know that you're going to die in a week or that you're going to live for a thousand years? It's not easy, is it? Uh, and I'm try not to give the spiritual answer. <laughs> you know, I think we all said, you know, I think I'd rather die in a week. And isn't that weird? Because we're all afraid to die. But we're, we're, all, we're more afraid to live. That's weird, isn't it? Well, this guy was a tortured soul. But when God, Jesus, the Son of God, showed up, he was afraid that now the real torture is going to begin. Now. Torture can be in this life. Torture, you can think of torture in the next life. But there's something in us that just kind of knows instinctively that God's out to get us. And whether it's in this life or the next, it's, there's a lot to be afraid of. You know? And Jesus, and Jesus had a whole new deal for this guy. Jesus said, I'm not here to torture you, buddy. I'm here to, I'm here to unchain you. I'm here to rescue you. Now, most of us, truthfully, you know, if you're a Christian, you're, not, you're really not that afraid to die. I mean, you, you think of, you don't want to leave your kids, you don't want to leave your wife, you don't want to leave, you know, your church, you don't want to, people need you. But, you know, most of us are really, uh, the, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go be Jesus. Because life is hard. Even if life is good, life, life is hard. And the thought of doing this for a thousand more years, it, it makes you tired, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, it just makes you, wow, I don't think I want to do anything, anything for a thousand more years. Wow. You know, and there's a sense in which we know that on, the only thing eternal that we could endure would be heaven. It would have to be better than this for us to endure it for eternity. And it doesn't matter if you're, if you're born in a wonderful home with a great job and you live in a nice place or whether you're on the street. The thought of more of this for a thousand years is hard to think of. So let's, let's go to be with Jesus. Well, the point is, there, there's something still limiting in our view of what God has for us that holds us back from believing that it can be as good as it really can be, as meaningful as it can be. And... Um, God has a, Jesus has a whole new future for this guy. He has a whole new future. Because he's going to deliver him from this torture that he knows. And by the way, if you're here, you're visiting or you're just checking out Christianity, I understand that you're a little afraid of what God might do to you. I mean, I'm still a little afraid. You know, and I know better. Okay? 
there's this, there is something that's just in our hearts that, that fears the God that loves us. It's still hard for us to get our minds and hearts around that he's that good. And even though I'm that bad, he's, he's good enough to, to, to love me anyway. And he has a beautiful future for me. Okay? And, um, you know, C.S. Lewis said, um, he said, you know, when I became a Christian, he said, he said, I was not looking for God. He said, I was looking for God the way the, the mouse was looking for the cat. <clears throat> you know, and that's another thing I love about this story you know, if you are a, a son, a daughter of God, if you have come and surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you did not get there on your own. You did not wake up one day and say, I'm a good person. God wants me. Where's God? <laughs> you, the Bible says we are, our, our flesh is enmity against God. It, our hearts are hate God. They don't love God naturally. You say, well, I love God. Well, then you don't know the real God. It's, I, I mean, I, I do pe meet people a lot. I love God. What are you talking about? I love God. I said, well, uh, well what about the God that lets um, millions of babies die of starvation and abuse? Oh, I don't love that God. That's not my God. What about the God who allowed slavery? I don't, I don't love that God. That's not my God. Well, that's the real God. The real God is the sovereign God who has allowed all the awful things in this world. He hates them like you hate them, but for some reason that only he knows ultimately, he has allowed unspeakable evil and injustice in this world. He <clears throat> said, so well, I could never love a God who... Finish the, you know, fill in the blank. Haven't, haven't you ever said that or had heard somebody say, oh, I could never love a God who, I could never believe in a God who, right? That's my point. You hate God. The real God, there's something in all of our hearts that says, I can't deal with that God. I, I, if I'm going to love God, I get, I get to choose who he is. Well, no, actually, we don't get to choose who he is. Because he's God. I mean, he is who he is. And he's, and he's real. It's not a name for the unexplainable. It's a real person in the universe who created us and says he actually does love us. <clears throat> okay? My point is, this man was not looking for God any more than you or I were looking for God. God found him. When we were helpless, hopeless, without, without goodness in our hearts, Jesus sent his spirit to awaken our dead hearts and to draw us to himself. Just like this man, we came saying, God, please get away from me. And, and, and God says, no, I have a new life for you. And he, and he unchanged us. Okay. You see what, this, what Jesus freed this man from? It's unbelievable. It's so good. But I want you to see what he, what he freed him for. You know, this is really crazy. Yeah, this, this is, the man <clears throat> says, Jesus, Jesus is getting in the boat now to leave. And the, and the guy 
begs to go with him. Okay? Well, of course. <laughs> I mean, this guy is the only one who has the power to deliver you. <clears throat> he has delivered me, but what are, what's going to happen when Jesus leaves? You know, who's going to protect me from all these evil spirits? <clears throat> who's going to protect me from myself? And Jesus said, no, you can't go with me. Why would Jesus not let him go with, with him? Why? Because Jesus had a mission for this man. Now, Jesus didn't leave him alone. Jesus said, you can't come with me, but I, trust me, I'm going to stay with you. You know, I'm, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. My spirit will be with you. But physically, I want you to go home. You know, we think of missions as leaving your home and going. Sometimes mission is not leaving, but going home. That's what mission was for this man. This man lived in the Decapolis. It was a, it was a group of small group of 10 cities on this region that Jesus hadn't come to yet. And he said to this guy, I want you to go back to the Decapolis and begin to prepare the way for people to understand who I am. Because when I get there, I have a lot more people to unchain. Okay? So what, you can see what he saved him from, but you know what he saved him for was not just that the pain would stop. It's purpose. It's meaning. It's mission. If, if you think of becoming a Christian just as a way of getting out of the hurt and the pain, that's not it. It's bigger than that. It's not less than that. It's bigger than that. He saves you for a mission, for a purpose, an eternal destiny of, of changing the world and, and helping unchain other people. Without, without that, you know, just going to bed at night and not being tormented is what's well, better than not being tormented, but it's still pretty empty. It's still pretty lonely because you are a human being created in God's image and he made you for purpose. You, you'll never be happy without meaning and purpose in your life. And God says, I have a meaning and purpose for your life. And so he says to this guy, no, I, the guy's, he, he's going to go anywhere Jesus asks him to go now. I mean, he loves Jesus. You know, this man has delivered me. And Jesus says, no, I, I appreciate that you want to come with me, but if you really love me, I want to send you home. I want you to tell your mom and dad and your brothers and sisters and the people in your town what I've done for you. Okay? Have you heard, have you heard that call in your life? I forget that call a lot. I'm embarrassed to say. But I do. You know, I get distracted like you get distracted with the other things of, of life, the busyness. Sometimes you can be so busy trying to, you know, build a church that you forget to love people. You know, you, I mean, that can happen. It's happened to me many times through my, through my life. But there's nothing greater, there's nothing better than an unchained person being able to lead somebody to the one who can unchain them. Okay. Just, you know, just in closing, I want you to see one other thing. 
the man understood what he'd been saved from. He, he understood what he had been saved for. But there's one thing he didn't understand yet, I don't think. And he would understand later, but I don't think he understood it yet. And that is what it would cost Jesus to unchain him. I don't think he understood yet, at least maybe a little bit, but not in full implication, because Jesus' disciples didn't get this yet. Even though he had told them, they didn't understand it. They couldn't accept it. What this man did not understand yet was that Jesus was going to have to trade places with him. For Jesus to unchain this man, Jesus was going to have to be chained. For Jesus to deliver this man from cutting himself, Jesus is going to be cut deeply, fatally. For Jesus to deliver this man from the solitary place he lived, Jesus is going to go to the loneliest place on earth. You know, um, there's a lonelier place than being alone. How lonely is it to be with your, your 12 best friends the night you're going to be betrayed and one of them betrays you, one of them just flat out denies you and the other 10 run and leave you alone. What's it like to be in the garden and, and these guys are all you have to go through this trial and, and, and all you ask of them is to just pray with me for a couple hours because I can't do this on my own and they all go to sleep. My friends, that's a lonelier place than being alone in the wilderness. Have you ever been alone with your friends? Have you ever been alone in your family? Misunderstood? Jesus went to the loneliest place on earth. But, but it got lonelier than that because hanging on a cross, he, has, he cries to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken by his 12 best friends, betrayed by one, but then forsaken by the Father? What did the man beg Jesus? Don't torture me. Please don't send me to the abyss. My friends, Jesus had to go to the abyss. The place of ultimate torture. The, the, the torture that God himself designed for the devil and his, and, his, and his angels. Jesus had to go to that place so that this man didn't have to go there. The man already loved Jesus for what he had been delivered from. Imagine how he loved him a few years later. When he, when he saw Jesus hanging on a cross, going to hell, and coming back out of the grave. <laughs> this man became a full-out lover of Jesus. As can you, when you understand not just what Jesus has rescued you from, 
the purpose and meaning of your life that he has rescued you for, but then understanding that Jesus had to actually trade places with me in order to do this for me. And he did it for you. He did it for you. I mean, I don't know where you are today. Maybe, maybe some of you are, you know, you, you feel the chains of some, some bondage in your life, an, a, an oppressive relationship that you can't get out of, an addiction that you can't, you can't overcome. Uh, honestly, um, some of us have struggles with our reputation and our pride and our self-reliance that, that is a chain that is maybe worse than any chain in life. But God did something in history to break the chain that holds you back. There's new life. There's, there's, a, there's a new freedom. The sin that, that besets you does not have to dominate you. It does not have to chain you. Will you struggle? Yeah, until Jesus comes back, you're going to struggle with some sin, some temptation, some, Hebrews calls it besetting sin. But it does not have to chain you. You don't have to, you don't have to, Surrender to the power of the enemy, to the defeat of your own discouragement, because Jesus traded places with you. He bought your freedom. And, uh, you know, if you're not a Christian, you can become one today, now. Not because you're good enough to finally figure this out, but because maybe the Holy Spirit has been tugging in your heart right in this last half hour. Maybe he brought you here. You don't even know why you came today. But you, you're here. Well, maybe the Holy Spirit is doing for you what he did for this man. And, and the thing for you right now is to, is to, God, help me not be afraid of you. Help me to trust you. Help me surrender. Help me to believe that you don't want to torture me. If I come to you, it's not because you want to make my life miserable. You want to unchain me. You want to release me. Now and forever. And uh, you, can, you can just simply say in your heart, God, take me. I'm needy. I'm lost. I'm broken. I'm chained. God, will you take me now? I believe I'm a sinner. I believe I'm in bondage. I believe Jesus died on the cross in my place. Will you take me now? And, and Jesus said, the Father will not cast out anyone who comes to him through my name, in my name. Okay? Um, if you are a believer, if you know Jesus is your only hope and Savior, and by the way, if, if you are... Um, you know, I just want you to, before you leave here, remember, you know, God saved you for something, not just from something. You know, have you found it? You know, have you opened your heart to, to... I mean, for some of it, it's like the Christian life is better than hell, 
But honestly, you're not, you're pretty miserable because you haven't surrendered yet to his purpose for your life. You know, maybe for you today, it's like, Lord Jesus, as I come to take communion again, I, I honestly have got to admit my life still is empty. I'm still driven by all the things the world is driven by. Jesus, do you have a purpose for my life? What is my new name? What is my new destiny? And, and, you know, he has a specific one for each of us. And it's the sweetest thing in the, in the world when, when he, you find it. You know, life still hurts. You know, con- one of the speakers at the conference this weekend said, you know, the closer you get to the cross, the more splinters you get. It's okay. Splinters won't kill you. Cross will kill you, but it won't kill you. You know, won't, you can't kill what's inside. You know, and uh, so, so, you know, whether you're a Christian, whether you're, you know, considering it, thinking about becoming a Christian, uh, I want you to just pray for a minute and ask God, God, what do you have for me right now in this moment? And then we're going to take the Lord's Supper. We do that here by, we just walk up front and take a piece of bread and dip it in the juice and the bread represents the body of Christ broken on the cross. The, the juice represents the blood of Christ that's spilled for us. And um, we do that to remember who he is and what he did for us. If you're not a Christian, then you know, yeah, you, you, you shouldn't do this. You should just sit and pray and think about it and, and not do this part of the service until you really know that you have surrendered your own personal heart and life to Jesus and he is your savior as well. Let me pray, and then, uh, Aaron, you're going to come and help. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you for including us in your mission for this world, to bring justice where there is injustice, to bring comfort and healing where there is brokenness and terrible pain and agony. Thank you for bringing us into your mission to Uh, Lord, lead those who are eternally lost into eternal salvation. And God, uh, but especially thank you, Jesus, that you're willing to trade places so that we could have this new life. And we celebrate and remember that now. In your name, Jesus, amen.